Hello and welcome to the Susquehanna County Conservation District's Conservation Corner. I'm Don Hibbard. And I'm Courtney Brons. And each week we bring you conservation topics and events from around the Endless Mountains. Well, it's a new year. It's 2021, hopefully better than 2020. And with the new year, probably comes some New Year's resolutions. So do you have any New Year's resolutions or do that at all? Um, I have a small list of goals that you know, I'd like to achieve this year. How about you? Uh, yeah, I do also. Um, I think the one that I probably end up putting on my list every year is read a book every month. And not that that happens per se, but it does drive me to at least read more. I think last year I read six books, um, so maybe seven this year. Yeah, but anyway, um, maybe one of those resolutions that you've written down is to find more outdoor activities to take part in. Well, for many, hunting and fishing have always been an integral part of getting outdoors. And thanks to those two outdoor activities, much of the public outdoor space and wildlife that resides across North America has been conserved. So how did this all come about? Let's find out today. So back in the early years of our nation, there were very few laws and regulations protecting fish and wildlife. And some species, such as the passenger pigeon, were taken to the point of extinction. And other species, such as bison, white-tailed deer, and wild turkeys were pushed almost to the brink of extinction, which may be kind of hard to believe today, but it did happen. And in the mid-1800s, hunters and anglers realized they needed to set limits in order to protect wildlife and assume responsibility for managing wild habitats. And these hunters and anglers were some of the first to push for wildlife conservation. So during this time, Important laws were passed, such as the Migratory Bird Treaty Act of 1918, the Migratory Bird Hunting and Conservation Stamp Act of 1934, the Federal Aid and Wildlife Restoration Act of 1937, and the Federal Aid and Sportfish Restoration Act of 1950. These acts essentially laid the foundation that inspired the North American model of wildlife conservation. Yeah, so uh, let's talk about that a little bit. And the North American model of wildlife conservation actually has two principles. That our fish and wildlife belong to all Americans. And that they need to be managed in a way that their populations will be sustained forever. So two important points there. Uh, The principles of the model are also explained more clearly through a set of guidelines. And these guidelines actually have a name. Uh, known as the Seven Sisters for Conservation. The first one is wildlife is held in public trust. And this means that North America, natural resources and wildlife on public lands are really managed by the government agencies to ensure that the current and future generations always have wildlife and always have wild places to enjoy. The second one is prohibition of commerce of dead wildlife. And what this means is that commercial hunting and the sale of wildlife is prohibited to ensure the sustainability of wildlife populations. The third one is democratic rule of law. Democratic rule of law actually means that hunting and fishing laws 
are created through public process where everyone has the opportunity and responsibility to develop systems of wildlife conservation and use. The fourth one would be hunting opportunity for all. And this lays out the fact that every citizen has the opportunity under the law to hunt and fish in the United States and Canada. The fifth one is labeled as non-frivolous use. So in North America, individuals may legally kill certain wild animals, but they're under strict guidelines for food and fur, self-defense and property protection. So laws are in place to restrict against casual killing of wildlife, merely for things like antlers or horns or feathers. Number six is international resources. And this explains that wildlife and fish actually migrate, as we've talked about in past shows. They migrate freely across boundaries between states, between provinces, and between countries. So the United States and Canada jointly coordinate wildlife and habitat management strategies. And the seventh one, and the, probably uh, one of the most significant ones uh, just for future planning, is scientific management. And so that lists that sound science is essential to managing and sustaining wildlife habitats. So if you're going to plan for the future, you really need to study what's happened in the past, what's happening now. Uh, and so that's where number seven comes in. So these seven sisters are the basis for wildlife um, conservation and management. But where does the funding come from? So hunters and anglers also realized that there needed to be a way to fund conservation. And the funding source needed to be significant and sustainable so that we could protect these wild animals and wild places for many generations. So we mentioned earlier in the show, the Federal Aid and Wildlife Restoration Act. This is also commonly known as the Pittman-Robertson Act. In 1937, sportsmen successfully lobbied Congress to pass the Pittman-Robertson Wildlife Restoration Act, which put an excise tax on the sale of all sporting arms and ammunition. And this was followed in 1950 by the Federal Aid and Sportfish Restoration Act, which is also commonly known as the Dingle Johnson Act, and this placed a similar tax on fishing equipment. So every time you go to the store and buy hunting or fishing gear, you're actually contributing to this fund. And the funds from these acts generate close to $1 billion every year. This money combined with state license and tag sales from sportsmen each year constitutes the majority of wildlife funding in North America. So it's not just funding for huntable species, but for all wildlife. And on the local level in Pennsylvania, uh, legislation requires that states like Pennsylvania sign what is called an assent legislation before it is eligible to receive funding. So basically the legislation states that Pennsylvania will use all of its hunting license revenue as well as all federal funds received for this purpose for the administration of the Game Commission and its activities and operations. The funding can't be diverted to other uses. So this assures that all money from license revenues, the lands of the Game Commission and all federal funding provided to the Game Commission stay with the agency for the main purpose of managing wildlife and providing hunting access. 
The amount of funding provided to each state is based on a formula that accounts for the total land acreage of the state and the number of hunters, both resident and non-resident, that purchased a hunting license in a given year. So in 2020, Pennsylvania received almost $30 million in grant funds from these acts. This money is used for a variety of expenses, which range from wildlife research projects and habitat treatments to even equipment purchases and staff salaries. This money also helps to fund land acquisition for hunting and fishing access. So the next time you step outside, the next time you cast a line in your favorite fishing spot, the next time you load a shotgun shell, the next time you install your tree stand, or even launch a boat from a public access, remember that we all have a stake in the future of our wildlife and wild spaces. We're all conservationists. Well, I guess that does it for today's show. So if you have questions related to our shows, you can contact the Conservation District by calling 570-782-2105. If you missed a portion of today's show, you can go to our website, www.suscondistrict.org, and find our Conservation Corner page with past episodes, links to information about past episodes, and a contact form where you can reach out and ask questions or make comments about the show. You can even suggest ideas for future shows. You have been listening to the Susquehanna County Conservation District's Conservation Corner. I'm Courtney Bronze. And I'm Don Hibbert saying, enjoy the outdoors.